Father, we thank you for your amazing um, mercy and grace on us. Lord, I pray for <clears throat> our church, for your help, for your blessing. Lord, for your spirit to move mightily among us, that we would know you, that we would worship you and you alone. Lord, if there's anyone in unrepentant sin, that you would help us and aid us and free us to repent of sin. Uh, just, just smashing the pride that's, that inhibits us. Lord, I pray for us this morning as we, we gaze into your word, Father, that you would help us to submit to what it is that you have to say to us today. I pray um, for me, for your protection. Father, may the words be true that I would say. We know that this is, your scriptures will not return to you void. That this is, it is powerful. It is active. It is living. It cuts to the innermost part of people and to the heart. And Father, we know that and trust that. And Father, we, um, we pray for a better sermon than what I could preach because your spirit moved among us. We pray that for our church in the, as, as it grows in the future of the church. Father, I pray that we would be a people that submit to your word, that care about your word because it is, because it is your word. It is active and it is living. So we pray for your help and your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. So it was, um, <clears throat> it was 20 years ago, 20 years ago, there was a movie that came out called Saving Private Ryan, which is actually in 1998. Is that 20 years? I'm terrible at math. So I hope that's right. It's 20 years ago. And it, uh, it was a very uh, violent movie, actually. It's not a movie I'd recommend that you, you go see. I saw it. Maybe, maybe many of you did. It's super graphic. And it's meant to actually capture... Um, uh, D-Day and, and war, and so it really captures that. It was so graphic and so horrific that my, my father, who was a combat vet, he was told by, by his community of friends within the Veterans Association and others, not, they were advising them not to go see the movie. Don't go see this. It wasn't, it wasn't worth them uh, reliving memories and wound and digging up wounds from, from the battle scars of, of war. So it was very realistic, it was very, it was very intense, and it was, meant to, it was meant to be. Now as we are, as you're watching the movie, there's, an actual, there's a scene that happens near the end of the movie. One of the characters is, is not a warrior, he's not much of a warrior at all, but he's on this team that's set out to go save and rescue uh, Private Ryan from the battlefield because what has happened is, is um, I can't remember if it was sibling or siblings had, had died in war and the army is saying, we cannot have this happen. You cannot have the whole family wiped out for the, these American citizens. You, we got to get them off the battlefield. So this was in an age, an era where you can't just pick up your, your, your cell phone and call them. Not, I mean, not that it would work all over the world anyway, but it just, you had to go find him. And so this crew of guys are assigned to go get Private Ryan off the battlefield and return him safely to his family. And say, You're done. war is done with you, kid. So this is about the journey of them going to find him. And one of the guys, toward the end of the, uh, end of the movie, he's not much of a warrior, he's more of a, he's a journalist, he's a writer, and he ends up being the kind of the guy who tells the story. But he's, he's not a warrior, 
and he's, but he's with them, but he's, he's, in the, he's in the army. He's supposed to do this job. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're a typist or a journalist, like you still are a warrior. And, but really, in his heart of heart, he wasn't. And there's this scene where they're engaging these, these Nazis, and they're, they're going like house to house. They're trying to, trying to block them from crossing this bridge because it will interfere with a lot of other stuff going on with their, with their fellow, you know, warriors. And so they become aware of it. And they're like, we've got to stop them before they, they get in a battle with our other friends and it cause all kinds of problems. So they try to stop them, stop the enemy. So they're going house to house and where people are hiding and they come face to face with this, with this Nazi. And the guy who is kind of cowardly, not much of a warrior, he's actually in this hallway and the other is in um, a, a shootout with this Nazi in a room, close range. They have this, this hor- horrific shootout. They're out of ammo. And of course, the next thing that happens is going to be a hand-to-hand combat fight. And what ensues is a very graphic uh, battle. The guy that I'm describing, the guy who's, he's, 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 he is paralyzed with fear. And he's in the hallway, and he never goes in to rescue his friend who was ultimately gets killed. And so he is in the hallway. He doesn't go in. He doesn't take the action that he needs to because he is paralyzed and gripped by fear and the anxiety that overwhelms him with doing this task. And so he just, he's frozen. And yet he has the am- ammunition that he needs to actually take care of the job. It's the irony of the whole thing. He can't do it. He has what he needs, but he can't bring himself to do it. One of the things that we know about in, in real life is that fears and anxieties of this world can have such a grip on us that it can impact us in such a way that we are paralyzed with fear not to do the thing that we, we need to do. Now, as you hear me unfold the scriptures and address the application part of what I'm getting at, I don't want you to hear hear me say that if you just grit your teeth hard enough, then you can overcome this. But what I do want you to hear and understand and identify with is that I know that all of us deal deal with those things on some level. And the way it uh, affects us in regular life is in places like our home, where we might not parent in the way we ought to out of fear. Of saying no, out of fear of having the hard conversation, not only with a child, but when you're married with your spouse. Did you know when you get married and you have children that you actually have to have hard and difficult conversations about how to uh, discipline or guide or the direction you're taking your children? And some of those conversations are hard. You should be wrestling with those things in light of what Scripture says, but you're going to have hard conversations. And if you are terrified of hard conversations, it is easier to just avoid those things than to actually do it. It will affect you in your workplace because there will be situations where people, um, not us, of course, where they get stuck in jobs or vocations where they are not suited for the particular job or the task, but they get stuck because they are fearful of losing the paycheck, or they are fearful that they just can't do what they need to do to to move on to the next thing, and so they they just get stuck doing this particular task when maybe God has something much better for them, more suited for them with their gifting and their talents, and, and, and they're just fearful and gripped by it. It can affect us in our, our, our missional posture in the city of, as Christians. We're afraid about what non-Christians would think of us 
if I were, they were to find out that I was a Christian, maybe in my work, maybe in my neighborhood, if they found out I was a Christian or if they, they knew everything I thought about certain things, they, they wouldn't like me anymore. What I'm saying is that these fears, these anxieties can affect us in such a way that it affects not only our home and our parenting, not only our workplace, not only the city, but it affects the entire you as a person, but it also affects the church itself and its missional It affects everything. Down to the nitty-gritty of when you're trying to parent and shepherd your child. And what I want you to see today is that you, as a brother or sister in Christ, Jesus, do not need to be afraid. It's normal to be afraid, but to overcome that, you should be confident in the salvation that you have from God because of several truths I'm going to give you this morning. That you should be and need to be confident in the salvation of God, and this impacts every aspect of our lives. And we can have that confidence if we understand some things about about God. In fact, he means for us to know these things about him when we read these particular aspects of Scripture. One of the main themes that we will see as we will read through the passive, passage of Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and, and to the end, Hebrews chapter 9, is that we will see is that, that Christ is superior as the priest. He's the most superior priest. He's the most superior offering. He's the most superior mediator of the new covenant. And he is superior in that his blood is better than the blood that was offered in the past. And that this matters. This matters and it impacts us, it impacts us radically. If we know this, well, the way, one of the primary ways it impacts us is that we come to understand that we can have confidence in a Savior who actually can accomplish salvation for us. Because he is the better priest, because he is the better offering, because he is the better mediator, because his blood is better. And yet what happens in real life and in real time is that we try to find other ways, other means of salvation for ourselves, rescue us out of a lot of different things, rather than confidence in the Savior who saves us. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, we'll start in verse, uh, verse 11. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. Hebrews 9, verse 11. It begins by saying this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest... Now, let, let me show you. Those are one of the first things that we need to see. One of the first truths that we need to see so that we will have the confidence that we need to have in the salvation that we have from God is, first and foremost, that Christ is the superior priest. Verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands that is not of this creation we can see some things with more clarity some things that have been repeated as the book goes on that Christ is actually the better tent he is the real when we have all this imagery of these Old Testament saints setting up the tent the innermost part of the tent where they would go in and make these sacrifices Jesus is the better tent 
But when Christ appeared as the high priest, we know from reading in the past and seeing the text before that the high priest would go in only once a year, and it was super dangerous for him to go in there, and he had to make himself right with God before he would actually offer sacrifices on behalf of the people of God, and he could only do this once a year in the innermost area. And now we have the better priest, Christ. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through a greater and more perfect tent. You see, the tent of the past was not perfect. It was made with human hands. It was made as a shadow of something heavenly, not made with hands. See, Jesus is the real thing. He is not made with human hands. And so what this means is if we understand that Jesus is the superior high priest, the one that can actually offer the sacrifice that needs to be offered for you, that actually is the one worthy to go into the tent, then we will have confidence in the salvation that he can provide because those of the past couldn't do these things. They were not worthy of these things. You see, when we are in the midst of all of the anxieties and the struggles of our life, we don't first and foremost necessarily, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to come across as accusatory, I just know this of myself, it is not our first inkling to look to Jesus, per se, to dealing with those things. If you're kind of heady and kind of nerdy and read books, it's our first, our first reaction is to look to our thoughts. God created your mind, and you should, learn, you should use your mind to the glory of God. And you should use it. I'm not saying neglect it. I just know the temptation is to look to that instead of looking to Jesus, primary. And what we know from Scripture is this amazing truth about him that he is the highest, the higher priest. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Number two. The second thing that can give us confidence in the salvation that we have from God is that Jesus has done this once and for all. Number two, we can have confidence in the salvation he has, not only because Christ is the superior priest, but number two, because he deals with our debt once for all with the better blood. Do you see what it says in verse 12? He entered once for all into the holy places not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Now these things that the people would have, would have seen before would be vivid images of what was to come. Imagine, if you can, um, seeing these sacrifices that would take place. Have you ever seen how big a bull is? I've very rarely seen some of these things in real life. I was at the OC Fair and I saw this, this ox, which is like a, a, a cow with a job, by the way. That's how they, they, you know, assign different jobs. I was like, oh, what's an ox? Is it like a different breed? And they're like, no, no, it's just a cow with a job, and this one's a working cow. And um, their hindquarters, I sound like all farmer, like, like that, that high. I don't know if they're all that big, but I was like, this is a big animal. This is a big animal. Like, if it bumped into you, like, you could have a problem if it kicked you or probably bit you because they probably I don't know you know I don't know cows but they it might as well be a lion to me I'm not going near its face so 
Maybe they don't. Maybe they're just real cute and cuddly, and they're just super nice. It's all a lie. It's if you pull that mask off, and it's really a lion. So they're, they're really big. But imagine they, they would, the people of God would see these animals they brought, brought in, like goats and, like, and these cows and these bulls, and they would slit their throats. They would slit the throat of the bull. Okay? And, uh, and the people of God would see the, the blood poured out. And this, this is graphic. This is, this is scary, right? They would see that. But there's something about the blood that we learn from the Bible itself. The, the, the Bible tells us very plainly in the book of Leviticus that, that the life is in the blood. You do not have to be a rocket scientist. You do not have to have a Ph.D. in biology. You don't even have to, have, you don't even have to go to high school to know that if you lose too much blood that you, uh, your life flows out. You know that, right? Life is in the blood. They would slit the throat. The blood would spill, and the life would run out. That would be, the requirement was death. And the point is that Jesus, Jesus would have to die. He is the better death. When they would see this vivid imagery of death, they would see this mighty cost. How much more is the cost that really needs to take place to pay for the sin of man, right? Now, I'm going to table that for a moment. We'll come back to that. But what I want us to see is, is this, that, that, that the scriptures tell us that he deals with our debt once for all. Now, if you are struggling with anxieties and fears, which people do often, especially if you're a new Christian, you, when I was a young kid, when I first got saved, I happened to get saved when I was really young, and I, I would show up to church, and I would, I would wonder, like, man, is it possible that I might not be saved this week? You ever had that thought? I, I don't know what kind of teaching you sat under, but you, you, get, you got rescued, and depending on the teaching that you sat under, you might have some doubts, you might have some questions, you might wonder, is it possible for me to lose my salvation? Let me help you understand this, that branches we teach because the witness of Scripture teaches us that you cannot lose your salvation. Once you are in the family of God, you are in the family of God. He has rescued you. He has saved you. And if you, if you pay close attention to one of the things that says right here in the text of Scripture is that he entered once for all into the holy places. When it talks about this later in the text, in, in verse 26, notice again it says, For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundations of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of ages. Now, before I explain all that, I want you to see this is like an inclusion. This shows you a big idea that's going on in this passage that Jesus has taken care of your debt once for all time. And that's a radically important thing that we understand as the people of God. It, it helps us understand that we can be secure and confident in the God who saves us, not in confident in your ability to hang on to him. You have no ability or strength or power within yourself to hang on to God. It is him who hangs on to you. And the fact that Jesus has paid for your and my debt once for all time with his better blood. So one of the first things that we should be confident in, in, by, in the salvation that we have from God is first and foremost that we understand that Christ is the better high priest. He is holy. He is clean. He is God. He is not a man that is born that will die. He is actually eternal. He's the second person of the triune God. Number two, he deals with our debts once for all time, and he dealt with your debts once once for all time, and therefore you can be confident in your salvation. If your fears and anxieties impact you in a way where you feel like you're wondering if you might or might not be saved, you can be confident in the God that has saved you, and you should. 
that we know that there will always be some among us that will wrestle with, am I, am I truly saved? And you should talk with one of us elders. You should talk with your branch group. You should talk with other Christians around you. We want to help you understand with Scripture that you can be confident in the God who, uh, who has saved you. And you can be confident today by, by looking at the text of Scripture. But when Jesus paid for this for, for you once and for all time, he finalized it and completed it. And you don't have to be in fear if that's you. Now, I know, like, it, it's easy to walk in fear or a lack of confidence or anxieties, but something that you should be confident in, brother and sister, is the fact that Jesus paid your debt once for all time. That should be true for every young Christian among us and every older Christian among us, among us no matter what kind of doubts you're facing. Number three, <clears throat> Number three, that God purifies the internal part of our conscience. Now, I'm going to read it, and then I want to explain it. If you look at, at the end of verse 12 and verse 13, it says, For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of heifers sanctifies for the purification of the flesh. By the way, the purification of flesh would have been the, the, pure, you know, the, the priests getting ready physically for, for the, the, the duties that he would need to do. And what he's doing is he's making, the author is making an argument for these duties that they're being fulfilled. And if they did something, how much more? The argument is arguing from lesser to greater. So if this did something and in obedience to God, how much more does the real thing matter? Or what, how much more does the real thing accomplish? I'll, I'll, read it in its, I'll read it in its full. I'm going to start with from verse 12 and we'll go through that. He entered once for all time in the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. See, there it is, the eternal redemption. Also, it's in connection with the once for all time. Like, this is an eternal redemption. And, I, man, I, want, I, I, need a, I need to stop for a moment. I just need us to, to hear that. You guys, if you are struggling with your salvation, wondering if God can, can hold on to you, know this, that when Jesus did what he did, the scriptures tell us very plainly that he secured our eternal redemption. There's no jumping out of it. And you need to know it. You need to know it because there will be times that when you will mess up, can I be slightly crass? When you will screw up badly. And some of you have. Now, there are others of you that are maybe younger, and by God's grace, you have been cared for and sheltered by godly Christian parents that have said, hey, look, this is wrong. You don't want to do these things. This can be damaging for your life. Maybe you don't know the answer as to why yet, but look, they're, they're helping you, kids. They're helping you understand that those types of mistakes, whatever they are, are, are damaging. They're harmful. And they don't want you to, to suffer the harm of those, those sinful things. And so you might be saying to yourself, Man, I've never really not, never done anything that bad. Um, actually, you were born into sin, so you're really, really bad. You really, really deserve the wrath of God. Um, but, but, it, but it is a grace of God to have parents that will help you and guide you not to deal with that. But you need to be confident in this, that he has secured an eternal redemption. And we go on to verse 13. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons, referring to the priests, the priests that were sprinkling the the blood and fulfilling the duties that they would do in the temple were defiled persons. Also, the brothers and sisters they were doing this for were defiled. But Christ is in, in stark contrast to them. He's a priest that's not defiled. Um, and so he's radically different. 
than the earthly priest. He is not made with human hands. He is God. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more, here's the argument, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, there it is, without blemish, he is perfect and holy and pure, to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So number three, we should have confidence in our salvation uh, because not only Christ is the superior priest, not only because he has offered a once-for-all uh, sacrifice for our debt, but number three, because God purifies the internal most, the conscience of our, uh, of our souls. So this isn't just merely purifying the outward part of who you are. This is actually clearing up your heart. Clearing, cleaning up your conscience. In other words, your innermost man. Now, there's a show out on uh, Netflix. I think it's called One of Us. It is a really fascinating show. It is about a uh, Hasidic Jewish culture um, in New York. <coughs> now, I don't know all the history, but th it's a Jewish culture <coughs> that uh, gathers as a community, and it really c gathered out of uh, World War II. In, on the East Coast, and they might be, I don't know, uh, I mean, all the geography, but they're very, they're uh, modern-day legalists, just to be quite fair. So now, now the, when you watch the, the, sh the, the documentary, you would see these, these people that are really struggling with, um, they're struggling with what they believe, whether or not they want to stay in the community, whether or not they want to do all the rules that are involved with being a part of the community. They wear certain hats, they wear certain clothing, they, they, so they dress a certain way, they eat in a certain way, and, and it's, and it's got to be according to all these rules. And there's a lot of extra rules laid out for the household and the community. And they listen to the rabbis. And basically people that grow up in it, some might, they wrestle with whether or not they want to stay in the community. But you could imagine that it's very difficult to leave the community that you've grown up in and known. Now, it's extremely legalistic. First of all, it's Christless, okay? Uh, it's all law, no gospel. It's a modern-day, all-law, no-gospel. And so you'll have people, and these kids who grow up, and they're like, I don't know if I want to be this. I have questions about the existence of God. You know, do the rap, do, can, you, can you help me understand some of these things? And, and they're, they're wrestling with all those things. And, and when you're watching the show, there's this really fascinating thing that happens. There's a, there's a guy that you're, you're hearing his story, how he's, he's walking outside of it, but he really is part of the community, and he's trying to figure out how to live on the outside world because they're sheltered from the outside world. It's, it's a little like Amish in some ways. They're very isolated, even though they're in a, a, a great city like New York. Very isolated community. Very fearful of laws. Um, now, that might sound a little odd to you, but if you came out of World War II and you're Jewish, you'd be very fearful of governments, by the way. Do you think you would be, possibly? Um, they were very fearful of governments. And in fact, they really do everything internally. Okay, so, so he have all this mess, and there's a scene where he is not dressed like the others, and he's at a school. One of, the, one of the rules is they don't want anyone to have Wi-Fi. They're very opposed to Wi-Fi and a lot of other worldly things. And, uh, man, not to mention, there's some dangerous things on the Internet for sure. And, uh, you know, so this, this young man is confronted by a man who's dressed according to a community member, and, and he says, he starts asking him questions, and he says, like, are, are you one of us? 
And, you know, it's one of the first questions, and he starts to kind of ask him what's going on. He's like, well, no, I'm, yeah, he's like, look, I'm, I'm Jewish, but I'm, you know, I, well, what school did you go? I went to this such and such a school. And, and he starts talking to him, <clears throat> and you, you start to hear the burdens that these people carry with all this legalism. And, and he, the man confronts this young man, and he says, well, look, right now you could repent. And repentance isn't turning to Jesus. This is like just like turning away from these things that may or may not be uh, lawful according to their, like their rules. And so they carry these um, incredibly difficult burdens, but they're really focused on the outward appearance of the person. And they're not, um, they're not in step with the internal part of the heart. And what the scriptures say here is that God clears our, he deals with our innermost being. So he says in verse 14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works? Do you see that? God purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The response of this, the application of this, is to serve God. So the third thing that we should be hit by, that we should understand and be, be confident, we can be confident because of these things, because God has cleared our conscience, our innermost part. Number four, the fourth thing that, that, that we should know, that we should know um, is this, that you get the promised eternal life because of the shed blood of Jesus. Listen to this. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Let me read it again. Therefore, it is the mediator. Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. One of the words I want to address here is the word mediator. There's one scholar that points out how dangerous this this word is for our context. Now, it has a particular meaning in the Bible, but usually when we think about mediator, we think about someone um, setting up a compromise from one person to another. But let me tell you this, that there's no compromise between us and God. Um, God, Jesus, is in full agreement that we deserve his wrath. In fact, he does it by pouring his wrath on Jesus and, and satisfying his justice and his wrath. In, in other world situations, there's compromise. Mediators compr- make a compromise between parties. God is not compromising his holiness in any way. But Jesus is actually going to take on the wrath of the Father. He's in full agreement that we're in sin. He's in full agreement we, that we deserve justice. What he does is he steps in our place and satisfies that on behalf of the Father and on behalf of us. Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant, which is the covenant of a new heart, by the way. So you, as a Christian, have a new heart, a clean heart. In fact, the scriptures tell us about that you are transformed regeneration or new birth, people talk about being born again, the idea is having a heart that's been made alive, a new heart that's been made alive. If you are a Christian, your heart is new. Now we know that you you will make mistakes, you will sin because there's temptations in this world because you've inherited sin from Adam and this world is broken. Um, But he is the mediator of this new covenant so that those who are called Important words, super thick and rich and milk chocolatey good. But when when he's talking about called, this word is actually, it's passive for us. This is a reference to those that are called, those that are the elect ones, those that come to Christ, it's because God has called you. 
not because you have this amazing mind or that you could outthink other people or whatever it is. It is about God who calls. And so if you have interest in God and like God and want to know him and your heart's been changed by him, it is because he has changed your heart. Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal life. And what he gives those that he has called is he has given you eternal life. Um, he has given you eternal life. And that is the fourth thing. God has promised eternal life because of the shed blood of him. Therefore he, has, therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is, and then what, he, what happens, the author goes on to describe when something like this comes into effect. There has to be death. That's the point. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who makes it must be established. There has to be death for for a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Jesus had to die. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood, right? The, whole, the bull's blood, the goat's blood, it was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with the water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, I, just, I shared this with you earlier. I wanted you to hear that before we read the passage, but blood was a vivid image for the people of God. The spilling of the goat's blood, the spilling of the bull's blood, they knew it required life. And that was to help them understand that the life that was going to be required was going to be, really, was, was their life that was required. But Jesus steps in their place and mediates for us. And it's his death that does what it does, that's effectual for us. It's his death because he is the higher priest. He is the better blood. He, he cleans up our conscience. And we have a promised eternal life because of his death. And that's really what the author of Hebrews is screaming out here, looking at the old so that we would understand the benefits of the new covenant. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with those rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own. Because a priest would go in annually, people might have in their minds that this is going to need to happen continually. But what the scriptures are telling us is that this happened, this took place once for all time. It is finished. So when Jesus cries out, it is finished, the veil is torn. And, the inner, and, and God has taken care of it in such a way that um, our debt was dealt for once for all time. When you are struggling with your fears and with your anxieties, one of the things that we need to look to, if you're looking at all this, is the fact that we have a better priest who can actually deal with our sin, the sin not of bulls and not of goats, but of his own blood, from God himself, from the second person of the triune God, 
And there's no one more important. There's no one more valuable than, than the Son of God to take care of this. And this is who we are to look to. And so when we're faced with those, those fears well, that paralyzes, whether it's our parenting, whether it's our job, whether it's our, our, our household, whatever it might be, or fears of being, being evangelistic, we need to remember the blood of Christ that have covered us. When we have fears and anxieties because we think we are not worthy to be saved by God, we need to remember there was someone else worthy on our behalf, and it was not us. We are not worthy. But it is God himself who is worthy, that has made us worthy, worthy, that has cleansed our innermost being, that has rescued us. And lastly, the other thing that we need to know in light of having confidence in the salvation of God that he provides is, number five, that he will return for those who eagerly await him. Now look at verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Can I, can I say something about this that we don't always think about? With the education that we have received, every one of us in the secular environment that we, we've grown up in, we tend to think of death as something that happens as the natural consequences of nature. It's not true. It is and it isn't. In some sense, it is. But uh, in, a, in a very real sense, it is not. You see, you were created to live forever in relationship with God. And death enters the world because God has cursed humanity. That's why you die. You don't die because of the natural order of the universe. You die because God cursed humanity and we deserved it. That's why we die. But there is hope. Because Jesus came and died on be our behalf when we deserve death, we actually will raise from the grave. We're not supposed to die. We die because God cursed humanity. And that's why it says that we, that is appointed to die once. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So man dies, and then he is judged. But the good news is, if you are in Christ, it's taken care of. The bad news, if you are not in Christ, there is judgment. If you're in Christ, you are taken care of. If you are outside of Christ, there is judgment to come. Judgment for your sins. But if you are in Christ, the good news is that you will not be judged. It is all taken care of by the blood of the Lamb. So, in verse 28, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, referring to those that are called, will appear a second time not to deal with sin. Do you see that? Jesus is returning, but he's not coming to deal with sin, but to suffer, excuse me, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Part of the posture that we should have as the people of God are a people that are eagerly waiting Jesus' return. Because it's good news that we have, uh, we have a better priest, that he has taken care of our debt once for all, that he has, he has cleaned our innermost person, that he has promised us eternal life, that we, will, that we await the one who is coming to, to finally save us. Now, there's a sense in which when you come to faith in Jesus Christ that you are saved, and that's absolutely true. But there's another sense in which it is not finalized. 
You are saved now, but you are saved to come. When Jesus comes again, you see, because right now, uh, like you, there's, there's a bunch of saved people in this room, and in this world, you'll, you'll die. You know, uh, newsflash, like we, we get sick or we get old and, and we die. But, for those, but, but here's the thing. We are awaiting a Savior who's coming who's going to raise us from the grave. We're waiting for him. So, so death is not permanent. We actually will be rescued. We will be fi- sa- saved in its ultimate sense because we will be saved from death itself. We will raise from the dead. And with that, let me, let me pray for us.